today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. reality is, is right now, today, as long as you breathe, as long as you're part of this life, you have opportunity to come to Christ. You have opportunity for the gospel to impact your life. But if you resist it until the day of your last breath, that's it. You'll stand in judgment before a holy and a righteous God. And the first question he'll ask you is, what did you do about my son? What is your relationship to my son? And the only answer that's acceptable by God is, He is my Lord, He is my Savior, He is my Redeemer. Nothing else will suffice. The Bible says that now is the day of salvation. Because tomorrow is not promised, we should surrender our hearts and lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ today. In today's message, Pastor David admonishes us to cry out to the Lord while the window for grace and salvation is still open. For there will be a day when that window will close. Those who have rejected Jesus in this life will be cast away from the Father's presence. Those who have accepted God's free gift of grace will enter into everlasting rest. Now here's Pastor David with part two of today's message, The Hope of the Gospel, from the book of 1 Peter, chapter 3. He says it's working in us according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. Beloved, this is the gospel. Christ died for our sin. He was resurrected by the power of God. He's seated in the heavenlies right now above all authority, all power. And beloved, the word also says that he's ever interceding for you and I. That's the hope of the gospel. And we need to be assured of that time and time and time again, that the death of Christ was real. It was an event that took place historically. The resurrection of Christ was real. It was an event that took place historically. And even the seating of Christ in the heavenlies, not only is it an historic reality, beloved, it's an eternal reality. An eternal reality that you and I can hold on to. Peter declares it so clear back here in 1 Peter when he says in verse 18 again, Christ suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. That's the only way possible we have of going to God is when we go through Christ. As powerful as all of that is, I don't want to overlook another little theological impact, another powerful phrase that he has within this same verse here in 18. 
Peter shares in verse 18 a, a, a common truth that was accepted in the first century church as absolute and true. And yet through the ages, the church has watered it down or tried to, to malign it or misinterpret it. And they've come and many today miss it. Remember there in verse 18, he says, for Christ also suffered. How many times for sin? Once for sin. Once for sin. He didn't have to do it a multitude of times. He doesn't again become crucified because of new needs that we have in life. He's no longer on the cross. That's done. It's completed. It's finished. He now seats in the heavenlies. He's seated in the heavenlies with God the Father. There's no other sacrifice that needs to pay for our sin. The work of Jesus was entirely, completely, and fully accomplished on the cross. His death, the payment for sin, was once for all. And the writer of Hebrews drives this home over and over and over and over again. The writer of Hebrews telling us again, Jesus Christ is again being our high priest. He says in chapter 7 of Hebrews who do, that Christ does not need daily to offer up sacrifices for this he did once for all when he offered up himself in chapter 9 verse 12 of hebrews he says that his sacrifice was not with the blood of goats and calves but was with his own blood he entered that most holy place once for all having obtained eternal redemption and then in chapter 10 verse 10 he writes we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of jesus christ once for all and every priest standing ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifice which can never take away sins but this man speaking of jesus after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever sat down at the right hand of god Amen. Amen. That's the hope that's ours in the gospel. The sacrifice of Christ through the shedding of his blood there on that mount called Golgotha or Calvary. It's more than eternally sufficient to pay for all of our sin, to pay for that debt that we had before a holy and a righteous God. And beloved, there's nothing Nothing, nothing that you can do to deserve it. Nothing. And there's absolutely nothing that you can do to add to it. Well, can't I do these righteous works? Oh, we're called to do righteous works. But not to add to our salvation, but because of our salvation. Because I am born again, I want to please my Lord. I want to please my Savior. And I want to walk in obedience. But in doing righteousness and doing good works, I'm not adding to my salvation. It's because the salvation is already there. And beloved, there's nothing that can replace it. There's no other means to get to the Father except through Christ. The only way. The only one. And if you put me on uh, nighttime talk TV and you ask me the question, isn't there another way to get to God? I'm going to tell you before a national audience, there is only one way. There is only one sacrifice acceptable before God for man. There is only one mediator between man and God. That is the man, Jesus Christ. 
unless you come through the cross. There is no way, no way available to heaven. If you don't know your sin is forgiven this morning here in this place, you need to know that Jesus literally has his arms wide open, reaching out to you, calling for you to come unto him, all you that labor and that are heavy laden. And he is the same one who says that the one who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. You see, that's the hope of the gospel. That's the promise of the gospel, that you and I who know Christ need to have not only in our heart, in our depth of our soul, but in our mind and in our understanding that we might be able to share that with others that are looking for any and every other thing that they can. The hope of the gospel, the promise of the gospel, is the greatness of God's love for us. It's not by our work. It's not by our effort. It's the grace of God. So with that understanding, and that is the base or the foundation of what we're looking at, we're going to touch on the first of those two theological difficulties. And just as the man Christian in John Bunyan's writing of Pilgrim's Progress came along a lot of distractions on his way to the celestial city, just as there were many things that stood before him that uh, caused him to perhaps detour off the path for a while or be distracted from his goal. So when we look at difficulties like this, again, it's really easy to get to get out of focus. But let's this morning, let's keep our focus on the main thing, that overwhelming richness, that depth of the hope of the gospel. Peter tells us here in verse 19 and 20 that Jesus also went and he preached to the spirits in prison who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah. This statement actually leaves more questions than it gives answers, okay? And there's a multitude of interpretations of these verses. And I don't believe that any can really be dogmatic about the interpretation due to a lack of some absolute clarity. I believe that there's some things that we go on in life that we say, Lord, I think I understand this, and I'm going to move in that understanding. And then maybe a few years more down the line, as you grow in Christ, as you mature, as you learn more about his word, the the Lord might give you another understanding. Not to detract from the truth that's there at all, but to understand that, beloved, I don't know about you, but I don't know everything, okay? Uh, I, I just don't know everything. And even today, as I study through God's word, there are some things that are just difficult. And I, uh, I, I interpret by what the Holy Spirit, I believe, gives to me by my understanding of the word. And then we move on from there. I think some of the issues that are raised here is, who are these spirits? And this can only have one of two answers here. They could either be human, who had passed on, or angelics. Okay? And if they're human, why didn't he use the same term that he used in verse 20 when he spoke about the fact that there were only eight souls that were saved? Why didn't he use the word souls instead of spirits? If they were angelic beings, 
Are they the same ones that Peter writes about in Second Peter chapter 2 when he said, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into the chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people. Again, he's speaking here of the angelic beings in connection with Noah in the same way that he is here. So they're either human or angelic. Well, what is the prison? What is he speaking about here? Well, again, it could be hell. It could be that place of continual torment. Perhaps it could be Hades, the place of the dead prior to that final judgment. Or it could also simply mean the prison or the bondage of sin. As many people as are incarcerated over in Florence and in Eloy, there's a multitude of others well beyond that multitude that are imprisoned because of sin or because of bondages within their life that have never been behind prison bars, but they have a prison within their own selves. So what did he preach? The other question. I tell you what, if he was in hell and speaking to fallen angels, he wouldn't proclaim the gospel. But he could very well proclaim the greatness of his victory over sin and death. If it was in Hades, again, it wouldn't be the gospel message that he would preach because it's very clear through the word of God that it is appointed unto man once to die and after that, the judgment. There's no second chance. After we breathe our last here, after the last moment of the last heartbeat that we have on this side of eternity, the, the chances are over. The opportunity is over. We don't have loved ones that are waiting that hopefully enough prayers will be offered on this side or or whatever might be offered on this side to be able to get them into heaven. The reality is, is right now, today, as long as you breathe, as long as you're part of this life, you have opportunity to come to Christ. You have opportunity for the gospel to impact your life. But if you resist it until the day of your last breath, that's it. You'll stand in judgment before a holy and a righteous God. And the first question he'll ask you is, what did you do about my son? What is your relationship to my son? And the only answer that's acceptable by God is, he is my Lord. He's my Savior. He's my Redeemer. Nothing else will suffice. If he was preaching to those who were imprisoned through that bondage of of their own sin, then when did that take place? Maybe Peter was talking about, again, the work of the very Spirit of Christ that was witnessing to and ministering to the people during the days that Noah built the ark. And the Word says that during that entire time, preaching the message of hope to that wicked generation, Maybe what he's speaking about here is, again, the Spirit of Christ speaking through Noah at that point in time. Now, we can take all of these questions. We can take all the variety of answers that we get through that. We can cut them all up, put them on paper, cut them up, put them in a bucket, shake it all up real good, and start pulling them out. And as many combinations as you can pull out of those questions and all the various answers, you'll have about where theologians are in their understanding of this verse, okay? Because literally and truly, it is all over the map on it. 
But yet we look at this and we say, well, Lord, help us to understand this. And for me, the best way that I can understand that is in the context of all the thoughts that Peter has placed within Second Peter. And then in particular in these verses as we pull them together, verses 18 through 22. If it's here where Peter brings this conversation in. He brings it into the place dealing with the times and the events of Noah's day. And it was an absolutely wicked time for all of humanity, except for Noah and his family. It was here where all of humanity was involved in these gross immoralities and a a complete rejection of the things of God. And in these verses... Peter deals with several aspects. The whole passage forces us then also to go back to Genesis chapter 6. And this is where it really starts getting muddy when you start looking at, okay, in Genesis, what is your interpretation, what's your understanding there of the sons of God and the daughters of men? And then when you take that combination and you add to that their offspring who were giants or the mighty men of old added to all of the wicked of the day, and we go into the story of Noah, and this is where Peter is referring us back to, well, it does appear to be really confusing. But if you allow the Bible, I think, to interpret itself, then I think, again, you're, you're forced to go back to what Peter writes later in Second Peter. When again, in, 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 in Second Peter, he brings in that he's speaking of angels, he's speaking of the time of Noah. In verses 4 and 5 of Second Peter chapter 2, I believe that he's revisiting what he stated here in First Peter. And if you want to turn there, it's just a little bit to the right there in Second Peter chapter 2. And in verse 4, Peter writes, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. And then just skip down to verse 9. He says, Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. Now, there's a whole lot more that we could bring in to consider on here, but these are pretty much the high points. But let me give you what I believe in just a nutshell here, what I believe that Peter is speaking here in 1 Peter chapter 3. Number one and utmost, the the very basis of it all. Our sin is completely and once for all paid for at the cross by the death of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Christ died for doing good, not evil. And he also died because we did evil and we could not do good. And though Christ died for our sin, God raised him up again, placed him in that place of authority over all things. And we're going to look at that some more next week. The other thing that we see here in that difficulty, I believe that during that time, the spirit of Jesus was separated from his physical body due to death. At death, body and spirit are separated at that time. 
And I believe that Jesus, sometime during that time, I believe that first he went to be with the Father because remember he told that thief on the cross, today you're going to be with me in paradise. So I believe that that took place first, but I believe also I've got a couple of more days before I come up. Maybe I'll go, no. Uh, I, I believe at that point in time that he went to that place of torment. That he went there, not he did not go to hell because he had to suffer more for our sin. And beloved, within the Christian church, that's a doctrine that's being spread around even now, today. That the cross was not sufficient, but Christ, during those three days, he had to go into hell and he had to suffer for our sin. No, he did not. When he said, it is finished, and he gave up his breath and his life. Beloved, it was finished. It was finished. I believe that during that time, he went to that place. And again, as he went there, he spoke to those angelic spirits. And perhaps it was also the souls of the unrighteous men who had rejected that message of salvation. But I believe that his message was, again, that song of victory over sin and death, the reality of his authority over all of creation, and that all that had to be proclaimed and prophesied in the past was now coming completely fulfilled. And there he stood before those angelic beings, before those rebellious men, those wicked men, and and says, I am victor over sin and death. I have been given authority over all of creation. And I believe that, again, it was a pronouncement of the greatness of his majesty, the fullness of his completed work for all of humanity. But no, the angels didn't have a second chance. No, those wicked men did not have a second chance. He was declaring victory in the presence of them. Philip Bliss He's the man that wrote that hymn we spoke about earlier. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Well, in 1875, he and his wife were on a trip, and the train that they were traveling in got into a horrific wreck. And though Philip wasn't too badly injured in the wreck at that time, he's actually thrown out of the train. He realized his wife was nowhere around and at this point in time the 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 car that they were traveling in was engulfed in flames philip went in to try and rescue his wife and neither one of them came out of it they both perished in that wreck in 1875 a little bit later on in going through some of their belongings they found in one of the suitcases of philip bliss the words to another song, another hymn that he had written, one that had never been uh, 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 sang or, or used ever before. Those that found that song were so moved by the words of it that they gave it to others who put the tune to it and pulled it together. And actually, that song was the very first song that was ever recorded on a phonograph record uh, there in New York City testing out Thomas Edison's new invention. The words to that song, I will praise my dear Redeemer. His triumphant power I'll tell. How the victory he giveth over sin and death and hell. I will sing of my Redeemer and his heavenly love for me. He from death 
hath brought me, Son of God, with him to be. Sing, O sing of my Redeemer. With his blood he purchased me. On the cross he sealed my pardon. Paid the debt. Now I'm free. Standing strong in the midst of persecution is a theme throughout the New Testament. Many of the newly created churches faced opposition from the world around them and were in danger of turning away from their faith due to these confrontations. It isn't a surprise that the book of 1 Peter also addresses this subject. Peter wanted to encourage new believers and remind them of the truth they had learned, that Jesus lived and died for the salvation of every person on earth. Sadly, persecution didn't die out through the ages. The enemy is still doing his best to derail the message of the gospel. Today, we want you to be encouraged as well. As a follower of Jesus, you will face persecution sooner or later. Stand firm in your faith, leaning on Jesus' truth for your source of strength and comfort. One way you can find support and encouragement in any season of your life is by getting involved in a local church. With that in mind, Pastor David has an invitation for you. Well, I hope that today's message has encouraged you in your faith. It's given you a hunger to learn more about God. If you're in the Casa Grande area, you're looking for a church to attend, I'd be honored to have you join us here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. You can find directions and service times by visiting theopenword.com and following the links to our church homepage. We welcome you to be a part of our time of worshiping our Savior and studying the words of the Bible verse by verse, growing closer to Him each week. Thanks, Pastor David. And thank you for tuning in today to The Open Word.